Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. On Saturday, we, of course, commemorated the uh, life, the sanctity uh, of Joseph, the husband, St. Joseph, the husband. And uh, I, I thought it would be great to do something that we haven't done before on this program. And we're doing it because uh, there's a new book out. It's called The Silent Night, A History of St. Joseph as Depicted in Art. And this is an outstanding book. It's by art historian Elizabeth Lev. And uh, Liz joined us last week when we were talking about the Ukraine and the importance of, uh, again, uh, preserving uh, the cultural memory of a people through its art. And we're talking about the, the, the devastation going on in the Ukraine. And uh, I learned that she had this new book out, The Silent Night, A History of St. Joseph, as depicted in art. And I thought, well, with the feast day right in front of us, uh, we should make sure we spend time next week talking about it. And uh, so that is exactly what we're going to do right now. I should say also that the book is full color, and so you get to see the art uh, beautifully, which makes a heck of a lot of sense. If you're looking at paragraphs, you also want to look at the art itself. Liz is the author, as I said, of The Silent Night, A History of St. Joseph, as depicted in art, also of How Catholic Art Saved the Faith. She's an art historian living in Rome. She leads tours of Rome and beyond. She delivered a TED Talk on the unheard story of the Sistine Chapel, and you can visit her at elizabeth-lev.com. Liz, good to have you back here. Thanks. Well, thank you for having me back. Well, let's let's uh, let's point out something which I learned when I was growing up as a Catholic kid. We always, where I grew up, anyways, the the trio Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were mentioned more commonly as a curse uh, than they were as an object of devotion, but uh, I always thought Jesus, Mary, and Joseph kind of went together. All through church history, not that I had ever studied it, but it just seemed to seemed like, well, that's the Holy Family, right? It wasn't until just a few years ago that I learned that really devotion to St. Joseph developed relatively late. What can you tell us about that? It did indeed develop late. It's actually sort of amazing how Joseph went from absolute silence for basically the first five centuries of the church to becoming the patron of the universal church. It's yeah. really it's a it's a it's a marvel in and of itself. For the earliest years of Christian art, we really see nothing of Joseph, and they love to show the nativity. We have nativity in sarcophagi, uh, we have nativity in frescoes. But Joseph is always absent. He doesn't appear until hmm. St. Mary Major in 450 A.D. Wow. Isn't that weird? Any idea why? Well, it's probably because the most important things that the Christians are trying to get across, and when they are making art, producing art, it is to communicate with Gentiles. So these are not people who come out of the Jewish tradition and have the idea of prophecies of a virgin who will bear a child. They come out of wacky Greek myths, where oh. you have these gods who are always running around and disturbing maidens. And so I think in order to ease the understanding for the Gentiles of a, the divine paternity of Christ, B, the virginity of Mary, they, Joseph very gallantly steps aside and lets the focus be on the Christ child and Mary and not put a third figure in there that would leave people a little perplexed. Hmm. 
Now, that's something kind of fitting about that, isn't it? I mean, given even the role he plays in the New Testament. Absolutely. I mean, this is a man who does not have one recorded word, not one <laughs> word out of Joseph's mouth. Yeah. He's mentioned 15 times only in the Gospels. He's gone by chapter 2 of Luke and Matthew. So, yes, that kind of quiet, unassuming, and yet fundamental figure, it's a, it seems like a perfect, perfect way for Joseph to make his appearance on the scene. When he does appear uh, in Catholic devotion and in art, is it is there a consistent theme that is associated with him, or is there a diversity of treatments of him early on? This is what got me to write the book. This is what spurred me to write this book. I could not believe how many different Josephs there were. <laughs> I started sort of looking around. So I was going to write an article about, you know, some images of Joseph. And the next thing I know, there's old Joseph, there's young Joseph, there's bowed Joseph, there's tough Joseph. There's <laughs> Joseph dressed up as St. Peter. There's dying Joseph. There's husband Joseph. There's just there's Joseph, so many different Josephs. He's got, it's like, remember that story, jo- the, the Joseph and his coat of many colors. We've got St. Joseph and his many guises. It's, it's amazing how many faces he's got. Yeah. Um, what are the earliest uh, pictures uh, of him? So the earliest images we have are in St. Mary Major on the Triumphal Arch, the mosaics that are right above the altar in that spectacular church. Those mosaics are very interesting because Joseph is represented as young. The very first time he shows up in the history of art, he shows up wearing a short tunic, a kind of an orange mantle, and he's a young man. And I think it's because the neighborhood... Uh, where Santorio Maggiore was built, is a very imperial neighborhood. Like, the people who live there are senators. And that particular crowd would be able to understand fairly easily sort of this imperial consort, someone in charge of the empress, someone, the regent, the, the heir, who understands his place and won't overstep. And for that reason, I think that's why Joseph shows up like that in that particular context. But when he reappears 200 years later, he looks like a gnarled little old man who's always shoved off in the corner. He looks like he's paying more attention to, like, watching the camels of the Magi <laughs> than, you know, the that's going on with the birth of Christ. And I think, again, those are works of art that are more popular, meant for regular people. And so, again, they want to kind of keep Joseph a little bit further away to avoid confusion. Hmm. Do, do we have, uh, moving from... The- art, do we have icons of St. Joseph? Yes. Icons of St. Joseph, however, do not show up until considered the devotion to Joseph is extremely late, even okay. in the East. And so even though the East does have a does have a love of Joseph, a devotion to Joseph, the idea of singular icons do not show up until well into the Renaissance. Okay. okay. Um, is he, given that he's Given that, again, the New Testament doesn't record a single word from him, uh, is he generally presented, is he often presented, as uh, a, a, a bit mysterious? Uh, we we don't know what his silence stands for. I think his silence is what actually allows him to speak so many languages, as it were. He's not buttonholed into any particular persona. 
And it really allows him to develop over the course of the centuries. So as these, it's very, very, very important, the role of the saints with St. Joseph. So Bernard of Clairvaux starts thinking in the 11th century, Joseph, Joseph, but he was a descendant of kings. So why do we make him look like this gnarled old guy? He's got a, he's a man of tremendous dignity. They start thinking in terms of Joseph, a man who chose his chastity. He's leading, he's leading a chaste marriage with the virgin. Is it because he's so old and decrepit or... Is it because he's a man who is an example of self-mastery? He is a man who managed to get his family to Egypt under incredible duress. Is he really just this bumbling little character? <laughs> There's so many different ways. Because he doesn't speak, it allows us to kind of imprint on him all of these different, uh, 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 all these different looks, all these different ideas, and he absorbs each and every one of them perfectly. Is he ever a playful Joseph? Oh, there's some. So there's some wonderful images. The Germans, who have a magnificent sense of humor, apparently, um, for a whole series of very interesting reasons, decided to make a very playful and kind of goofy Joseph. <laughs> so Joseph, in the middle of the the you know the nativity or this or that the other thing, he's you know with the bellows trying to get the fire going to make some porridge. Uh, he's cutting up his own shoes. He's off in the corner drying diapers. So these are <laughs> these are very kind of very funny Joseph. Joseph is like comic relief. It was amazing to see. There's a whole body of works where Joseph is just doing like the kookiest things in the world during the nativity. And then there are other Josephs, which really come more from the Baroque era, where you see Joseph kind of just wrapped up in baby Jesus, and, and they're, they're, they're playing. I mean, you just see Joseph huh. uh, 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 smiling, absorbed in a baby Jesus who's looking up and, like, playing with his fluffy beard. It's, it's their glorious images. So we know, of course, all the Madonna and child images. Do we have many images of Joseph, you know, uh, cradling Jesus, uh, holding Jesus? There is a whole explosion of them in the 17th century, okay. literally an explosion of them. And I'm sure this has to do with figures like Geronimo Gracian and St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross. There's a huge kind of, especially, especially in Spain, there's a real rethinking of St. Joseph, and it's extremely dynamic, extremely active, and it builds into this imagery of just Joseph. So we really see solo Joseph with Jesus. So this, this little, these intimate scenes of the foster father and his son. But at the end of the day, they're backing up to the thinking of some of the Franciscans, people like uh, uh, Bernardino of Siena, who asked once, why do you show Joseph as a grumpy old man? How could he possibly be grumpy when this was the man who got to cuddle with and hold and kiss and caress the baby Jesus. Yeah. He must have been filled with joy. <laughs> there is, a, you mentioned that uh, painting, uh, St. Joseph cradling the infant Christ, uh, which Jesus, the infant, is has got his fingers uh, in Joseph's beard. It's an absolutely okay. delightful uh, uh, image. Um, give me, Give me some of your favorites. Well, that happens to be one. Okay. <laughs> the, that's Guido Reni. Guido Reni did many of these images. Apparently, they were very, very, very popular. And Guido Reni is a little bit more of a classicizing artist. This is really simply a, a matter of taste. 
but I happen to really love this this absorbed father, the playful, the playing with the beard, this just complete enclosing between the two. Um, Murillo does magnificent images. I think the images that were painted by Murillo, very different Joseph, kind of a dark, dark-haired, flashing-eyed Joseph. As a matter of fact, he clearly is thinking about uh, the writing of Gracian, who claims that Joseph would have looked most like Jesus. Hmm. So there's a whole there's a whole vein of images of Joseph where he looks like Jesus. Well, Liz, I want to thank you once again. The book Silent Night, A History of St. Joseph, is depicted in art by Elizabeth Lev. It is outstanding. Uh, I don't know anything quite like it, and I urge you to get your hands on it, uh, especially uh, good to focus in on it through Lent. Liz, thanks. Good talking with you. Great talking to you. Thanks so much, Al. Elizabeth Lev, The Silent Night, A History of St. Joseph.